Welcome to the Mama Sisterhood. I'm Heather Evans. When my twins were born at 24 weeks gestation, I began to think about the uniqueness of each of our motherhood journeys. I also began to understand the importance of education and support from other moms, no matter how different our lives may be. Each episode will highlight one mother's journey and the lessons she has learned on this crazy path we call life. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to the Mama Sisterhood. All right. So welcome back to the Mama Sisterhood podcast. I am very excited to have a special guest with me today. This is Rebecca Isham. How are you, Rebecca? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Of course. Well, I definitely want to get your story out there because it's an awesome one. Um, why don't we have you tell tell me just a little bit about yourself, like who you are, what you do, where you live, and about your family. So um, I am a homeschool mom living in the Kansas City metro area. I live with my husband and our five kiddos. Um, I'm originally from Southern New Mexico, but I moved here when I was 17 and I, I met a guy when I was um, 19 and we fell in love and we got married when I was 23. And um, then we had quadruplets when I was 26. Yes. And um, then we had a bonus baby eight and a half years later. And um, now we are just hanging out here in Missouri and um, living life. It's great. And I was trying to remember, I think the way we first met and correct me if I'm wrong, um, we were both in the moms of multiples group in Kansas city. Is that how we had first gotten in touch with each other? I think so. I think, um, that was how we first found each other. Yeah. I couldn't remember the exact details, but I just remember being very amazed by your story. So, um, why don't we go back a little bit? So you said you met your husband, fell in love, um, what about like after you were married, when did you and your husband decide you were ready to grow your family? Like, did you kind of just have marriage life for a while? Did you jump right into wanting to have kids or how, how did that timeline go? So we always knew that we wanted to have a family and I come from kind of a bigger family myself. I'm the oldest of six kids. Oh, wow. Um, so I always knew that I wanted to have a family and he did too. And, um, the plan was originally, <laughs> You know, and you know how this is. You make plans and then it all kind of goes a completely different direction. Um, But the plan was to wait a few years and then start having kids. And we had it all lined out. We were going to live in this house and then we were going to have a kid and then we were going to have another kid and then we were going to move. And then we were, we had it all laid out, you know, like all young couples do. We had the plan. And um, then about a year into being married, I just, I got the itch to um, have have start having a family and um our house was just so quiet and Mm -hmm. it was just bizarrely quiet to me being the oldest of six kids um and I would actually turn on the tv just for background noise because I couldn't uh I almost couldn't think with how quiet it was Mm -hmm. except for of course now it's like the opposite now that I have five kids it's like crave the silence right you know that's a that's a totally different story. Uh, but at the time I just, you know, really had the itch to have a baby. And at the time, you know, I was 24, my husband was 30. He's, um, five and a half years older than I am, but he was 30 at the time. And so we thought, well, let's just give it a go. You know, we have, we have good jobs. Let's just go ahead and start. And so we thought, let's just, let's just start. Okay. So as we, as you and I both went through, things don't always go according exactly to our fertility plans. So tell me about your fertility journey. We tried for about a year on our own. I think that's typically 
how it's supposed to go. You try for about a year and then you go talk to a doctor. So we tried for about a year. Then we went and talked to my OBGYN when we reached a year and we just said, hey, we're having trouble conceiving. It really wasn't a surprise to me that we were having trouble conceiving. Um, I did not have an and I'm sorry if this is TMI, but this is a mom show. So sure. I'm just going to kind There's of throw no it There's no TMI. All, it's okay. <laughs> I'm going to throw it all out on the table. Yes, please do. I really don't have any like privacy left at this point in my life. Um, so, um, but I, I really didn't have regular periods. And um, I had been told that I most likely had PCOS, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so when we were dating, when my husband and I were dating, I had told him, you know, hey, um, there is a chance that I may not be able to have children or have children easily. I just want to let you know that ahead of time so that you know that going into a life with me that this is this may be a hurdle for us. And he, so he knew that. He knew that marrying me, you know, eyes wide open. So when we weren't able to have a baby and we went to OBGYN, um, it, it wasn't a surprise, really. It was a, it was sad, though. And I do want to say that um, not being able to conceive, if you've been there and you've walked that path, it is tough. Um, it is there's some grief associated with it. I've certainly went to my fair share of baby showers and went home and cried. Yes. I took my fair share of um, pregnancy tests and sobbed over the negative results. Mm -hmm. um, and any any woman who has been through that knows exactly what I'm talking about. But we went to her and we just said, hey, we, we're struggling. Um, and and we had done all the things. We had taken my temperature and we had, you know, done all that. And and you know, you know that anytime that you start like intentionally trying to have a baby, it sucks all the fun out of sexy time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, it just, it's just so hard. So we went to her and we said, Hey, we need some help. So she, um, prescribed a pill and said, take this pill. It'll help you ovulate. Um, and my husband looked at her and said, um, well, what are the chances of her having twins? Mm -hmm. Because at that appointment, it had never occurred to us that there was anything beyond twins. Like right. just didn't even like occur to us. Right. So I said, what are the chances of her having twins? And the doctor said, well, given her health history, um, the chances are practically zero. Mm -hmm. And so my husband was like, oh, okay. You know, good. <laughs> we were, we were just gunning for one at a time, you know? And, um, so, you know, off we went, we filled the prescription. Um, I took it for two months in a row. It was just this little pill. We took it for five. I took it for five days of my cycle each month. Was it, and was it like Clomid or Letrozole or one of those? It was remember? called Femara. Oh, Femara. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I took it for two months and bam, I was pregnant with um, quads and um, I actually have identical twin boys within my set of quads. I didn't realize so, that. Yeah. So um, we actually did end up with the twins. So how did you, how and when did you find out in your pregnancy? So how early did you find out you were having multiples and that many multiples? Um, so, <laughs> wow. Okay. So trip down memory lane. Gosh. Yeah. Um, so we, I, I started to feel a little bit off. Um, I took a pregnancy test. It came back positive. And so we were like, great. Yay. You know, we're going to have a baby. And, um, that weekend, um, I actually had a reenactment. So in college, <laughs> you're going to find out how weird I am. In this no, podcast. this is great. I love it. In college, I was a Civil War reenactor. I had no idea about any yes. of this. So I am like one really weird chick. This so, is awesome. I love um, it. 
so in college, I was a Civil War reenactor. I love history. I love anything that has to do with just the past and all of that kind of stuff. And so that weekend, I had finally gotten my husband to agree to go to a Civil War reenactment with me and dress out. This um, is great. Yes. This is what I wanted to do about this podcast is hear about all these unique things the moms are doing. So this is awesome. Yes. So um, this was like already scheduled. It was already on our, like on our calendar. And I was so excited. He was going with me. I was not in college at the time, like I was past college, um, but I still loved doing it. And so we dressed out and we went out to the field and we were hanging out for the day. And so um, I think I can probably claim that I am one of the only women in history who has worn uh, a corset and like five layers of clothing and worn Civil War garb while being pregnant with quadruplets. You um, probably are. That is probably very, one of the a only very women. cool fact to be able to say about yourself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have no like actual data to base that on. But I doubt there were that many quadruplets in that era though. I mean, probably not. So, um, and, and when I did Civil War reenacting, we, I didn't dress up in a costume. I dr- you call it dressing out in actual historical outfits. So, um, yeah. So anyhow, we, uh, we realized something was wrong about the time when we were walking around and I almost passed out and he caught me on the way down to the ground. And he looked at me and he said, something is wrong. And I said, I'm just pregnant. And at that point I had been, we had found out like three days before that I was pregnant. He took me home. I was massively sick. And he said, you need to call the doctor. And I said, I've Googled it. I've you know, Dr. Google, I've Googled it. You don't go to the doctor until you're like, what is it? Like eight to 10 weeks pregnant or so are you like like six weeks or so at this point? Oh no. I was like four and a half weeks. Oh, okay. Okay. Five weeks pregnant, like okay. like four and a half weeks, maybe. But I was so sick, <clears throat> like incredibly sick. And he said, I don't care what Google says. You need to call the doctor because there's, this is not right. And I was like, well, maybe it was, I was wearing a corset and right. he was like, um, but we took, I like took it off and I was right. so, so sick. So I called, um, uh, it is different doctor. I, I didn't go back to the first one. I actually called a midwife who I was referred to and they got me in and they just said, you know, Hey, we can't tell anything when you're this early. And, um, I was like, okay, but, but I like, I'm really worried. And they were like, okay, well, if it'll make you feel better we can do a vaginal ultrasound. And, um, they were like, but we, we just want to tell you that, um, it's not like we're, we aren't going to be able to see anything. So when we can't see anything, you can't panic. And I was like, well, that's, that's really fair. So they were like, okay, so just come back in an hour. We'll do a vaginal ultrasound and and you just have to be calm because you're only five weeks, five days pregnant. And I, they were like, we're just, we're not going to be able to see a thing. Okay, fine. So I went back and they did, um, actually, I think they did the, they did a regular ultrasound first. They couldn't see anything. And then they went to vaginal ultrasound. And the ultrasonographer got really quiet, like really quiet. Mm -hmm. And um, all of a sudden she goes, well, I, um, I see uh, one, two. Okay. I see three sacks with heartbeats. And I see a fourth sack. Okay. I see, I see triplets and a fourth sack, so maybe quadruplets. Oh my goodness. And I just started shaking and I was like, are you serious? Yeah. What goes through your brain or does anything go in through your brain? Yeah. Like what, what happens in that moment? 
Well, I asked her if she was serious and right. she looked at me and she goes, honey, I, I wouldn't joke about something like oh this. Oh my gosh. And my first thought was, we're all going to die. Like when you're a woman and you're in that position, your first thought is, yeah, we're, we're all going to die. This is incredibly dangerous to all four or five of us, however many are involved in this at mm-hmm. this point. And I looked over at my husband and he looked like, um, he was the man. Like I did that. I knocked oh. that hard. <laughs> How cool am I? That... So obviously it had not sunk into his right. head yet. Right. What was going on? He wasn't imagining the actual outcome of this. Yes. No, he yes. just thought that he was pretty much yeah. in- incredible. Um, sure. Yes. The midwife popped her head in and, um, she also couldn't quite process what she was being told. Um, when my husband looked at her and said, we're having triplets, maybe quadruplets. And she was like, what? And so it, it just, from there, it just kind of all started spinning out of control. And that was the point of like, at which my life tilted on it on edge and, right. and there was no looking back. So, wow. Okay. So, and I had a twin pregnancy and I know how that was a little bit different than a, having a single baby, but I can only imagine that four babies, your pregnancy looked a lot different just in terms of doctor's appointments and how you felt and when the babies were supposed to come and all of those things. So, so tell me about your pregnancy after you found out, oh my gosh, we're having either three or four kind of, how did it progress from there? Yeah. So, uh, a quad pregnancy is so different from a singleton pregnancy. And people used to ask me, what it's, what is it like being pregnant with quadruplets? And until we had our bonus baby, right? I would say, I don't know what's sure. it like being pregnant with a singleton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now that I've done that, I can kind of compare it. Um, a quad pregnancy is so physical. It is such um, a phys- It's like running a marathon every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything is exhausting. So I would get up in the morning and I would take a shower before work. And then I would have to sit on the bed and just rest for like 10 minutes before I could even like get my shoes on and get dressed and put my makeup on because it was so exhausting just getting that far. And I, and every day I would, um, you know, eat some crackers next to the bed, take a shower, get through the process of, of getting ready for work. And, um, I worked in insurance at the time. And, um, thankfully it was a job where I could sit down. (laughs) I was really grateful for that, but I would throw up in the kitchen sink on my way out the door. And, um, I know that sounds gross. People are like, why didn't you throw up in the toilet? Um, it was, it was like a routine. I would say it was accessible. (laughs) Yeah. I would hit the, hit the kitchen on my way to the garage for my car and throw up and then I'd get to work and I'd throw up there. And, and it was, I was incredibly nauseous um, all the time. I think I had five days total my entire pregnancy where I felt like a normal human. Wow. Um, and I just, um, I was, I was, just, I can't even tell you how sick I was. Uh, it was just really, really hard. The doctors asked me to make um, milkshakes out of heavy whipping cream and half and half mm-hmm. to try to get enough calories in me. Wow. Um, to grow the babies because I was burning more calories just sitting there breathing than normal people would burn working out. And it so it was just it was such a physical um, process to try to get through all of that. Um, and then mentally, like emotionally, mentally, a quad pregnancy, I think most people probably spend more time trying to process that most quad moms than than I did. Um, I chose to deal with it by pretending like it wasn't happening. 
Um, because how, how do you sit down and go, yeah, I'm pregnant with four babies. I have 40 fingers and 40 toes inside me and, and, you know, four hearts and well, five hearts, I guess, if you can't mind. And, you know, like, how do you even start processing that? So I just kind of lived in a state of denial. And I remember my coworkers saying like, are you ever going to sit down and actually process what you're going through? And I looked at them and I said, "Mm, no, I'm not going to until I have to. And they were like, why? And I said, because I can't, it is too much for me to to like process through something this heavy. Like this is a lot. <laughs> and is that how did that last pretty much throughout the duration of your pregnancy or did that change at any point or uh, did you that just wait until they came? Yeah, it it lasted a long time. At about 20 weeks my husband had me um quit my job and stay home. It was winter here in Kansas City. Um it was uh, Christmas. He had me quit at the at the end of the year at Christmas time and he just said Um, well also I'm, you have to remember I'm from New Mexico, so I don't really drive well in snow and ice anyway, like under the best of circumstances. And he was like, let's not put you in a car and have you try to toddle through ice and snow while pregnant with quadruplets. He's like, that is just a terrible idea. So he had me quit and stay home. And once I was home, um, and I had nothing to distract myself, that's when it started to kind of sink in. And that's when I started to try to find things to occupy myself at home because it was just like, whoa, I have way too much time to think. Um, But yeah, I just kind of tried not to think too terribly hard about it. But once you take away all the distractions, it started to sink in. So I, I spent about a month at home before I ended up in the hospital on bed rest for a month. And and I had to start processing at that point. And so Let's see. So how, did you find out the gender of the babies at all? Did you know, did you know the gender of the babies going into it? We'll get into late, like labor and delivery in a minute, but did you know from the scans, whether you're having boys, girls, how many of each? We did. Um, we found out as soon as possible what we were having. Okay. Um, we have um, boy, girl, boy, girl, quadruplets. Boy, and um, when we knew we were having the scan to find out genders, we actually walked into that appointment with four sets of names for boys and for girls, Mm -hmm. because we knew we wanted to name them immediately to try to make it like somewhat real because it's just such a surreal thing to go through a quad pregnancy. So we were literally naming them as the sonographer was saying, and baby A is a boy. And we were like, and that kid gets this name. That's very cool. Baby B is a girl. And we were like, and the first one on the girl list is this. And so that girl's going to get that name. And which two were the twins? And what was that? Uh, Which two were the twins? The two boys are our twins. Two boys. And so what, what did you, what did you name your babies at that point when they were in in utero? So we have Caleb Sean. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we have Abigail Rose mm-hmm. and we have Elijah James and Elizabeth Grace. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So tell me about, you had just mentioned you went into bed rest on, it went on bed rest in the hospital. So was that something that was planned? Was that because of certain symptoms you were having and how long, how far along in your pregnancy was that? That was at 23 weeks, six days. And I went into labor at that point. And that is why I was hospitalized on bed rest. My contractions were about four minutes apart by the time they were able to stop them. Is there a goal? I'm sorry. 
Is, yeah, they, is there a goal they, for quadruplets? Like, is there a certain week? Cause obviously they are predicting that they're going to come sooner. Is there a certain goal week they wanted, like that would be ideal for quadruplets? Obviously as long as possible, sure, but, sure. but the average is 28 weeks. Okay. okay. And, um, 24 weeks is, um, like the, the bare minimum that you mm-hmm. want. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, when I went in at 23 weeks, six days, I still remember, um, one of the neonatologists coming in and sitting down next to my bed. And I was pretty much out of it at that point. They had me on a magnesium drip to try to stop the, the contractions. And she sat down next to my bed and she said, you cannot have your babies today. Um, you know, this is the neonatologist from the, the, the NICU from, you know, who would take care of the babies if they came that night. She said, you cannot have your babies today. We have to do everything we can to stop this. If you have your babies today, there is a 50% chance of survival. We must do everything we can to stop this, even though this drug that we're giving you is really unpleasant with really unpleasant side effects. And like, I still remember her sitting there and telling me that. And it was, it was one of those things where it was like, this is, this is really serious. And they had me on that um, magnesium drip for about three days. And it was really a terrible three days. (laughs) I only had magnesium for a few hours, so I can't even imagine. It was horrible for a few hours. So you're amazing. It works though. It (laughs) works. Yeah. Yeah. So how long, how long until like how far much further did you get? When did you actually start to go into the labor that then eventually progressed to the delivery of the quadruplets? So I made it another four weeks. Good for you. That's amazing. Which was like fantastic. Yeah. Um, I made it to 27 weeks, six days, uh, which was, I was so happy to make it that far. However, I was also pretty disappointed. I was supposed to get another, I was supposed to get two steroid shots. Mm Mm-hmm right about that time to help with lung development for the babies. And I was supposed to get my second steroid shot uh, at week 28, which was the Mm. next day. And I missed that by a matter of hours. And I was, I was really bummed about that. Um, But what happened was, is that morning um, I woke up, um, it was like every other morning, my husband called it the parade of hope where all the doctors would come through the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he would get so irritated when he would stay the night in the room, but they'd come through the room and they would all check in and, um, all the medical residents, um, would, uh, would come in and, and, and check me and hover and ask their questions. And I was, um, one of the big sideshows at the hospital. And I think it was because all the medical residents knew they would never see another pregnancy. Right. (laughs) They wanted to see the quad. They wanted the quads to come on their shift. Right. I was, I was the big stop on the, on the tour and yes, they did. They really did want, want the quads to come on their shift is really funny. Uh, But they would come through. And so they came through that morning and, and the, and the doctor who was on my um, team, who was actually part of the team of doctors taking care of me, told me I was doing great. I was incredibly boring, which was exactly what they wanted. They would tell me that too. Yeah. They, the that's like a huge compliment nothing. when you're on antepartum with twins yes. that are, or, tri- or multiple, sorry, that are trying to come. They tell you it's boring and they tell you that's good. Yes. And so they said, you know, we need to start talking about what we're going to do at 32 weeks. And I was like, okay, great. That's, that's great. And, um, then shortly thereafter I had a a panic attack and, um, I started hyperventilating and the hyperventilating set off my contractions again, unfortunately. And, um, I was not able to, um, stop the labor. Well, you managed to stop it for four weeks though. That's incredible. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I still, you know, I still look back. The kids will be 12 in, um, gosh, they'll be 12 in three weeks. Wow. <laughs> I still look back and I still wish, wish I could have held out a little longer because of all the hurdles we've jumped since then. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I did make it pretty far. So I started having contractions. The nurse started monitoring them. Um, and then I got really quiet while they were monitoring them. And, and she just realized that, um, I was too quiet and they tried to give me some medications to stop it. Um, and restarted all my IVs, my monitors wouldn't let me eat. And I remember texting my husband and saying, Hey, they're restarting all the machines, the IVs, the monitors, but don't worry. We're all fine. Nothing's happening. Don't worry about it. And he's like, do I need to come? Cause he was at work, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they are, my husband still had to work. And I said, no, no, we're good. We're fine. Don't worry about it. So he mentioned it to his boss and his boss was like, get in the car and get to the hospital, like yeah. go. And so his boss was like the hero of the day because he told him to get to the hospital. And um, if his boss had not told him to, he probably would have missed the birth. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. So things went that fast then. Yeah. So he got there and within an hour or so, um, the nurse got a little concerned because I was so quiet. She called up one of the resident doctors to just come check me because she just, it just didn't feel right to her. And the resident came up and did a check and I was already dilated to a six or seven and baby A was in the birth canal. Oh my. And they were like, whoop, okay, we are going to do this right now. And so, okay. we're moving. Yeah. So, okay. So I guess I had assumed maybe wrongly that they were delivered by C-section. Is that not correct? Or did you end up having a C-section still or? Yeah, they were delivered by C-section. Okay. They did not want the babies to come well, out. Yeah, yeah. The, the I know they way. like to control yeah. that situation as much as they possibly can. But with her, let's see, baby A was a, you said girl? Was a boy. Was a boy. He was yeah. already in the birth canal. Wow. Okay. So yeah. you were rushed to the OR. Yes. Were you, were you awake during your C-section? I was. Yeah. They okay. actually let me stay awake, which I'm, I'm really grateful for it. Good. It's really hard in the type of pregnancy that I had because I had absolutely zero control right. over anything that happened to me the entire time. I'm From sure. the moment I found out I was pregnant, everything happened to me and nothing happened. Um, that was my choice. If that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I really, it was just like, we have to do this. We need to do this. This is what's going to happen next. And it was just like, okay, 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 okay. Um, because that's just how it works. And so I was, I was very grateful. They let me stay awake for Good. that. Good. Um, so when they're delivering quadruplets, I can imagine there are a lot of people in the room. What was that like? I mean, that had to be a huge team in there. Yes. So it actually took two operating rooms wow. to do the delivery. Um, so I was in one operating room. It was about, I would guess about 20 minutes from when they found Caleb in the birth canal to when we were on, when I was on the table and they were, they were starting. Um, and the doctor who was on call that day to do my surgery was actually in a different surgery and had a resident in a different surgery with him. And they came in and said, you know, doctor, like the quad mom is, it needs to give birth. Like the baby is coming like right now. And he was like, I can't come. And apparently the resident who was with him was like, um, can I leave? Can I go? <laughs> so he let her go. 
Wow. And they pulled the doctor who was doing like the office visits because um, it was a team of doc, a team of like four or five doctors who I had. They pulled him because they had like they had to have someone like immediately. So it was really funny. But um, so two two operating rooms. They put me in one operating room. Um, I had my own team of medical professionals, doctor, nurse, anesthesiologist, you know, all those people. Each baby had their own team doctor, nurse, respiratory therapist, all of those different people. I don't even know everybody because I wasn't taking roll call at the time. Um, <laughs> but what would happen was, is they would pull out a baby, hand it to the team. That team would take the baby to the other operating room to make space for the next team to come in and grab the next baby. Wow. And by my best count, I believe there were 30 to 40 people involved in the delivery, um, in two operating rooms. And, um, it was, it was quite, quite the process. And my husband watched the whole thing except for, um, baby D our last baby, who's a girl. He didn't watch her being pulled out because she actually got stuck under my ribs. Mm -hmm. So I was very large as you can imagine, but she got stuck under my ribs and the doctor had to go in up to his elbow to try to get behind her to kind of, um, pull her down a little bit. Um, cause you can't just grab a limb and yank. Um, right. and when he went up to his elbow, my husband was like, yep, I am tapping out. This is way. I feel like that's fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. But you know, I was awake and, and, um, you know, I, I was doing fine. Like it was probably chaotic, but I, all I had to do was lay there. So so how long does like I, for example, my twins are two minutes apart. So how long when they're delivering like your quadruplets, how, what was the timeline? Like, did, were they a couple minutes apart or how long did that take? So all of them are one minute apart. Okay. For the last one who is two minutes who was because stuck. she got stuck. Yeah. yeah. And then how, um, how much did they weigh when they were born? Um, so the two baby a was two pounds. Um, okay, hold on. I have to keep all this straight. I have so many children. It can be an approximate. It's okay if it's not exact. <laughs> Baby A, I actually had to ask my husband the other day. I was like, wait, how much did they weigh? Um, baby A was two pounds, five ounces. Baby B was two pounds, five ounces. Baby C was two pounds, three ounces. And baby D was one pound, 14 ounces. Okay. And we have pictures of them like with a can of Coke held over uh -huh. them, like just slightly bigger. I have a picture of um, baby B. She has uh, my husband's wedding ring is around mm -hmm. her wrist. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, just like itty bitty, tiny, yeah. tiny little babies. So tiny. And just mind boggling how little and medicine is just incredible. Let it me is. tell you, the science is incredible. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you delivered the quads right around two pounds ish. Tell me a little bit about their NICU stay. How long were you guys in the NICU and what was that like for you? The NICU is called the NICU roller coaster for a reason. Uh, it's, gosh, like, how do you sum up the NICU in a few words? You can't. <laughs> it's really hard. We did 83, 83 days, 85 days, and 87 days okay. in the NICU. So we had one baby come home at 83 days, two come home at 85 days, and one come home at 87 days. So over the course of five days, we had all four babies come home. Wow. A lot of babies coming home very close together, which- I can't even imagine. I mean, what was that like to go from zero babies in your home to four babies within a, a week? Did you guys have 
did you guys have help or was it just you and your husband or how did you do that? We had a lot of help. Uh, okay. My parents' church really stepped up and, awesome. and provided a lot of help for us. They, uh, for the first couple months, they had volunteers who would come in around the clock. They would send one person in to help us. Uh, feedings took an hour and a half to two hours. Right. And then they were probably eating every, what, three, three hours. four hours? Yeah. Three hours. And it that was how long it took with two people feeding them because of their feeding issues. Oh, my goodness. So I was sleeping in like 45-minute to 60-minute increments. And it was really difficult. So if it hadn't been for those amazing people, I don't know what we would have done. That is Honestly. so good. I'm so glad you had them. I mean, that's still exhausting though. It was, it was really tiring. Yeah. And did you guys have, I mean, did you already have a vehicle that you could drive your whole family in or did you have to take the babies in two cars or how, how did all that work? If you were we to did. like come home from the hospital and things like that. Right. We did have to buy a minivan. Okay. Uh, we traded in my two-door Honda Civic Yeah. Uh, for a minivan. And we did have um, some really wonderful people. There was a, someone anonymously, I'm guessing it was a group of people. I'm actually not, you know, I'm not even sure. Uh, Christmas day when I was pregnant, uh, someone gave us some money. Someone dropped oh. some money off um, with some family members and just said, you know, give this to to Sean and Rebecca Isham and just dropped off an envelope with cash. That's we still amazing. don't, we still don't know who it was. We don't mm -hmm. know who was behind it. Um, and then my husband's grandparents also um, gave us some, some money to help us buy that vehicle. And then the people who sold the vehicle gave mm -hmm. us a huge discount on it. His, his wife, the guy who sold it to us, his wife um, did not do the calculations correctly on Kelly blue book, mm -hmm. but instead of, correcting that number they found out our situation and just oh. went ahead and sold it to us for two thousand dollars less than those it are amazing stories it, you know it's god's provision is what yeah. it was god oh, really that gives me goosebumps. that's wonderful so we were able to get that minivan um in in with the in the price range we needed it in without having to take on um, a car payment Good. and it was enough to cover like the taxes and the interest, you know, it was, it was yeah. amazing. It was God's provision. So we did, we were able to get the van before the babies came home. Wonderful. So, and then what about like, I, I'm trying to think where you would even put four babies. Like, did you have them in a bassinets or, or where did you, where did you have them, have them to sleep and things like that? When they came home from the NICU, so after we had done our three, three month stint in the NICU, which was so many ups and downs with that process, we actually set up two cribs in our living room Okay, and we put two babies in each crib. Okay. And we did that because when they came home, all four were still on apnea and bradycardia monitors. Right. We had one child who was still on oxygen and there were so many cords that it was really difficult to take the kids back and forth across the house. Yes. And so we needed them to be able to stay in one spot for the sake of all the machines that we were dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so I had a twin size air mattress that I would put up against the wall when I was not using it. And I would pull that out and I would lay it on the floor in mm -hmm. the living room. And, um, when the apnea and bradycardia monitors went off, I, to tell me that they forgot to breathe, that they needed to be woken back up and reminded to inhale. Um, mm -hmm. So when the alarms would sound, I would jump up and do that. And then when people were at our house to help us with the babies overnight, they would sleep on the couch. And um, my husband would sleep in our bed upstairs because he was also trying to work um, to try to keep a roof over our heads. Right. 
And um, it was it was really rough. I'm not going to lie. And and I don't honestly remember a lot about that first six months, first year of the babies. Um, I actually, in preparation for the show, I actually sat down and reread my blog mm-hmm. to try to remember what happened. Um, I, I read the three months that we were in the NICU, those, those blog posts. And I, you know, it's like reading someone else's story. And I, and I know it happened to me because I, I wrote it, I wrote it down. And so I know it, I know it accurately happened to us, but I don't actually remember it ever occurring in my lifetime. And so it's really bizarre to read the story as if I am someone as if I'm a third party looking in, mm-hmm. um, because the sleep deprivation was just so severe. I cannot even explain to you how severe it was. And my husband was getting up, you know, so early in the morning to try to feed them before work and staying up late to try to feed them. And it was just, oh my goodness, we were definitely in a state of survival, um, all the way through the NICU. And then when they first came home and, um, it just, it really took a toll on us, um, on our marriage, um, on relationships in our life, (laughs) on our physical health, on all of it. So it was tough. I'm sure. And then you go from the difficult, I mean, it's difficult having babies and then it's also difficult having toddlers. They're just difficult in different ways. And you had four of them toddling around. So, um, what was, what was it like as they grew up a little bit and became mobile? And then, you know, you had four little ones running in all different directions. I mean, do you just kind of get yourself in an area where you can kind of keep track of all four of them or how did you do that? We used a lot of gates in our house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I liken it to herding cats. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> a lot like herding cats, you know, it's a, it's fun too. I don't want to make it sound like it's not fun. Oh, I totally I mean, understand. You know, and- I was, I was so grateful once we made it past the stage of needing to go to specialists and things. Yeah. I kept my calendar from the first year of their life because it was so full of specialist visits. Right. There was one week when I had like 13 different specialist visits between the four, four kids and, oh my goodness. um, and just, and things like that. But once we hit Let's see, we stayed home. We were basically in lockdown for the first two years because of their immune systems. Um, And once we made it past that, once we made it past the first two years and we could actually start going out places, um, that was, it was fun because we were able to, to do things, um, go to the zoo and such. But then it, then it was kind of like a whole different type of situation because then, then we became like our own version of the zoo. Um, (laughs) And attracting our own type of, of attention. Sure. I'm sure. Um, out in public. So, you know, it just, the whole, the whole game changes a little bit, but you know, our kids are really good kids, but I've, I've got some funny stories that I wrote down on the blog and I'm glad I did because there's no way I could remember them all at this point. No, that's great. And it's so important to write things down. I feel like you think you'll remember things and then your brain is just too busy doing mom things to remember those things. And you want to look back on those later and and laugh. So, um, okay. So as they've grown up, so I know you mentioned specialists and therapies and things like that. So as the kids have grown up, have they continued to have like therapies and things like that? Or was that more as they were like, you know, younger children, or I guess how does, you said they're 12 or almost 12. 
how does your world with quadruplets, and then we'll talk about your bonus kid in a minute, but how does your world with quadruplets look today? Well, our, our kids are like just the sweetest kids. They, um, we've worked really hard on manners and being polite and being kind and respectful. And, um, you know, they're, they're just really, really, really good kids. And I'm so proud of, of them and I'm proud of who they are too. And I, I want to just mention that, you know, it's not about what, what kids do. It's about who they are at their core. And our kids have really developed a wonderful sense of, sense of empathy, um, and I think a lot of that comes from just um, being around each other and understanding special needs and understanding that every person is unique and different and has their own strengths. And they've just really, I'm just really proud of them and, and the hurdles that they've overcome and also, you know, how their character has developed over the years. Um so we've done uh, a lot of speech therapy. We've done a lot of occupational therapy, um, uh, physical therapy. We've done um, lots of different things. We have a kiddo with autism. We call it his superpower. He's incredibly smart, um, sharp as tack. He's, he's great. Um, you know, we've got kids who um, have a daughter who just really, um, understands uh like the emotion behind words and and poetry and um feels emotions the highs and lows and it really comes through in her creativity and her writing and her drawing and things like that um i've got a kid who loves science and um he's just really into like just knowing how things work and um it's really cool to see him pick things apart and, and I've got a, another daughter who, um, her love of cats is just off, off the charts, man. She's That's got great. This I love gi- cats too. It's awesome. Yeah. She's got this giant poster of, of a laser cats in her room. It's hilarious. Um, and strong sense of justice and also responsibility. And, um, you know, all of that has come from their working through all these hurdles over the course of their lives. And, we have, we have had to do like a heart surgery with one of our kids. Um, we have had so many different hurdles and, and I could go into lots of different details of our NICU up and down times. And I've, I've had one of my kids almost die in my arms. Um, but just to, to be able to look at them now and watch them sprawled all over our furniture in our living room and wish there was a spot for me to sit in, um, it's just really cool to see how far they've come and, and know that it's like been worth it. You know, that is, that is amazing. And those, those are so, that's a good description to tell how each is unique and each has their own strengths. Um, have you always, cause I feel like you mentioned your homeschool mom and I feel yes. like that would really give you an opportunity to teach them the way each one best learned and really play to their strengths and things like that. Have you always done homeschool with them or has this been new since the pandemic or what was, what was your homeschool journey? We haven't. So we started in the public schools and um, we were grateful for the public schools because we did a lot of therapies through the public schools when they were younger. And um, they had IEPs and 504s and things like that um, for their for their physical and their social emotional needs and things like that. When COVID hit and everybody came home, we did the online school for a bit. And that was not a great fit for our family. Um, I think I cried more than everybody. (laughs) Not a pleasant time. And I looked at my husband and I said, 
I would rather homeschool these kiddos myself than try to fight through the online version of things because this is not a good fit. And I was homeschooled K through 12 myself. So I had a little bit of a idea of what homeschooling could look like. And so we switched to homeschooling and we have just stuck with it. It's been really a wonderful fit for our family. Our kids have really blossomed and been able to pursue their likes and interests and, um, spend extra time doing what they enjoy kind of fit the schedule to what works best for them. Like one of our, one of our kiddos, um, just really does really well doing his school at like 6am in the morning. That's not the time I like to be awake, Sure, but, but if he wants to, that's what works for him. It's silent in the house. And so he gets up and does it that early and he does great work that early. And that's great. And he can do that because he's homeschooled. And, you know, a couple of our kids want to work ahead and get most of their work done early in the week. That's great. That works for them. And a couple of our other ones just want to do a little bit every day. That's great. That works for them. So it's been a really good fit for our family and their, you know, unique strengths. It's just been really good for us. I love that. I love that. So, and you mentioned earlier, so now you have another bonus child. So tell me about your journey with, it's a daughter, right? Yes. Her, okay. So tell me about your journey with her. Um, and then you mentioned a little bit earlier, but what it was like with a singleton pre- pregnancy, because I'm sure it was completely different than what you had before and how that has all worked as you guys have adjusted to becoming a family of seven. Yes. Eden is our surprise baby. And, um, she definitely was not planned. <laughs> We didn't know that that was possible. Uh, So I spent um, the years after having quads really focused on my health and wellness, focused on getting my um, hormones kind of balanced out, my endocrine system figured out, cleaning up the toxins in my life, just trying to get my body to function the way it was designed to function. And I guess I was really successful. (laughs) That's what I am coming up with because, um, I, uh, conceived this child like the good old fashioned way. And it was, uh, it was definitely a surprise to both of us. How old were the quads at that time? Um, well, they're eight and a half years apart. The the baby and, and well, I still call her the baby. She's three now, but I I still call her. She can still be the baby. Yeah. She's always going to be the baby. We mm-hmm. say that we have two babies. We have mm-hmm. Ellie, Elizabeth, Ellie, who's our baby quad. And then we have Eden, who's our baby, baby. Got it. So, um, so there's eight and a half years between the quads and, and the baby. And, um, gosh, the, the four older kids just love her. They play so well with her. Abby, our baby B asked for, um, and I quote a sister baby for, um, years mm-hmm. and prayed for the sister baby and all sorts of stuff. So, um, she got her, she, uh, we give Abby credit for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eden will follow our, our older kids around. She just idolizes them. Her big sisters are like her best friends. She loves them. Um, she'll, she has her own play makeup. She'll go stand in the bathroom and put her little play makeup on with them. Um, and so it's really fun to see the older four interact with her with the older four. We kind of built our lives around them and we had to with Eden. She's just kind of fit right into life because Mm -hmm. the older four we've, we've already had like our lives set up. And so she just kind of slid right in and we just kind of all kept trucking. So, um, she was a surprise and, and I, I would say that um, 
it was a, a hard, a very tough surprise for me to come to terms with. It was a very hard pregnancy for me emotionally and um, with her. And I can tell you more about that if you want to know, but it was a hard, a hard emotional pregnancy with her. That is up to whatever you would like to share about it. You share what you're comfortable with and you don't have to share anything you're not comfortable with. She has been like the perfect addition to our family. Um, No, but what I I can tell you, um, what I was going to say is, um, you know, I talked about how quads, it was so physical with the quads, the pregnancy with Eden. I never stopped and processed any of the trauma that I went through with the quads because it was all about, um, surviving mm-hmm. with the quads. And, you know, I didn't really deal with it when I was pregnant with them. Then I had them and it was just like, help them survive. And, you know, they were trying to die on me and mm-hmm. literally one of them tried to die in my arms and, um, like try to have our marriage survive, have me survive. And so there was never a point at which I sat down and tried to process through like the NICU. And most people don't understand like the NICU is an ICU. It is an Mm -hmm. ICU for babies. Like that is what a NICU is. So three months in an ICU, that is tough. That is absolutely. So I never sat down and went through it and said, okay, this was traumatic. Like I need to work through this. So I got pregnant with Eden and all of a sudden, all of the trauma, all of the emotional load, all of the stress from the quadruplets all came out full force with Eden. And so even though it was a singleton pregnancy, there was nothing high risk about it. um, I was convinced that I was going to be um, stuck in bed like I was with the quadruplets mm-hmm. on bed rest. Um, she was going to die in my arms. Um, I was going to have things done to me and not have any ability to make the own calls for my, my own calls for my health. I was just absolutely convinced like all this stuff was going to happen. And logically I could say, you know, none of this makes sense. Like this is not the same pregnancy. This is one kid, but I couldn't get my brain to like agree with the logic. It was really weird. So I ended up in like really specialized counseling with a really specialized counselor who who specializes in really traumatic birth pregnancy and and birth loss and tried to start working through this stuff because I quit sleeping when Mm -hmm. I was pregnant with Eden and it was just really difficult. And I ended up being diagnosed with clinical depression, clinical anxiety, and PTSD from the quadruplets. Mm -hmm. So I was dealing with all the quadruplet stuff in my singleton pregnancy. And it was just kind of a weird mashup of stuff. So while the pregnancy itself physically was, I think it was a pretty normal pregnancy. I had my normal complaints of being pregnant, you know, my back hurt, my feet hurt, you know, I was constipated, you know, you know, all the good, not, you know, a little bit nauseous. My second trimester was fantastic. Um, at the same time, you know, it was the emotional toll was super heavy with the singleton pregnancy. Well, thank you very much for sharing that. And I'm really glad that you ended up like, that was actually my next question was if you had done any therapy or anything for that. So, um, okay. I know I've taken up a lot of your time tonight, so I'm going to do just a couple more questions. Um, but I do appreciate you saying that because I know as a as a mama podcast, you know that's something that happens with a lot. Maybe not with the quadruplet part of it, but just the depression, anxiety. I definitely agree with there being PTSD associated with the NICU. Um, 
And I think we're getting better about talking about those things, but I think they're, you know, the more we can talk about those things, the more we can help other moms that are going through it, whether it's during their pregnancy, um, after their pregnancy, you know, any of those times. So thank you so much for sharing that because I know that's, um, that's a very personal thing to share, but that's definitely going to help some people for sure. Well, we, we truly do as moms, we need to be supporting mental health and it, it shouldn't have to be, we shouldn't have to look for permission to get mental health help. If it's tied to something as right. traumatic as the NICU, it should be like, I had a normal pregnancy. I have one kid. I need to go talk to someone. Great. Mm -hmm. You are supported. You need to go do that. I 100% back you up on that. Like that should be how moms in general are with each other because Mm -hmm. everyone needs to go get support and counseling at some point or another. Right. And because momming is hard and I, I refuse personally. And I've, I've had so many people say to me, um, Oh gosh, you know, like compared to you, you know, you win, you had quads. And I, I always respond back. Like I, I don't play that game. Right. I'm not going to play the comparison game. I'm right. Sorry. Like there's plenty of singleton moms who have had it harder than me, you know, and I know quit moms. Mm-hmm. So I'm, but I'm not going to sit here and, and play this who has a harder game. Yeah. Because if you, ha- if you are a mom and you have kids mm-hmm. or a kid, it's tough. Right. And you need support. Yeah. Period. And I think that's good for those of us who can come out and say that, because especially with social media being such a big thing anymore, um, you know, so many, you're, you're seeing everyone's, what, what have I heard? You're seeing everyone else's highlight reel mm-hmm. and you're seeing your own behind the scenes or something of that sort. Right. And so I think it's good for people to actually say, of course, you know, no, their lives aren't like that in the first place, but you know, this is what it really is like. So, exactly. okay. So from that with, with quads, now you've talked about a lot of the, you know, how difficult it was, but like, what would you say the most difficult thing was about being pregnant or having or raising quads? But then what would you say is the best thing? So I would say the hardest thing for me personally with having quads is just finding that individual time mm-hmm. um, and then finding finding the space to meet their individual needs. And I, I constantly feel like I'm falling short on this. And I constantly look at my husband and I'm like, I'm a terrible mom, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's the mom guilt. And it's been plaguing me since day one, when I felt like I didn't carry them long enough in utero. And, um, you know, I just, I'm constantly fighting to give them the best. And I constantly feel like I'm falling short. And, um, I joke that, you know, we need to start saving for their counseling now because (laughs) (laughs) we're going to need to patch some stuff up from my parenting. Um, you know, but I, I wish, I wish that I could give more of me individually to each one of them individually. And I think every mom feels the same way on some level. And for me, I've never had individual time with any of them because they showed up as a batch. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it's just, I wish, I wish I could do that. And Sean and I, Sean's my husband, we, we never look at them when we're wandering around our house and our, in our daily life, we never look at them like, Oh, Hey, it's, we have quads. Like we don't sit there. We just have kids, mm-hmm. we just have kids, you know? And, um, so we're just, we're constantly trying to figure out ways to really connect with them on one-on-one. And I don't know that we are always successful, but I hope that when our kids grow up, they know that our heart was 
to be there for them individually and to know that we were always on their side. Like we were always wanted to be their biggest champion, even if we fell a little bit short. And then with that, in that same vein, the other hardest part is getting other people to also see them as individuals. Mm -hmm. So we've really um, had moments of real struggle getting people to see them not as a, like a litter of children. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I I say that jokingly, but I'm kind of not jokingly. Yeah. Um, we've, we've, you know, I've held my kids while they've cried saying, I'm just a quad. Oh, and, and that is very heartbreaking as a mother. When I try to convince them, you are not just a quad. You are Ellie. You Mm -hmm. are Abby. You are Caleb. You are Elijah. You are individual. You are unique. You have your own things to offer the world. And so I've had to go to people before teachers at school, things like that and said, please, you know, when we are in the car rider line and you're calling my kids to come get in the car, please don't call for the quads. Oh, please yeah. call for the Isham kids mm-hmm. because they are individuals and I want them to know that they are individuals. Um, and, you know, we've had people follow us across parking lots and take pictures of us from their cars. Oh my gosh. Yes. We've had people take pictures of us at the zoo as if we are one of the exhibits. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, we've had, we've just had things like that happen. We've heard, my kids have heard the rude comments in grocery stores when people have said things to me, um, like, you know, well, how did that happen? Well, did you do, you know, in vitro? Did you like, they've heard all those questions like, or, oh, I would tell myself if that happened to me. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, well, thank goodness it didn't happen to you because I'll take that blessing. You know? Yeah. It's just like, that's a great answer. You know, it's, and then there's a, there's a few people you pass and they're like, wow, you are so blessed. And I always look at them and I'm like, yes, I am. Thank you for noticing that because not enough people see that and notice that and see my children, my individual children and know that I am a blessed mama and they don't see, you know, they don't see them as just this like giant group of children, (laughs) you know, giant, like litter of puppies, you know, whatever it is. So that's been, that's been hard. And, and it's getting a little easier now that they're older because they don't look quite as much like quads now that they are Mm -hmm. a little older, but when they were younger, it was, it was tough. I love, I love everything you said with both sides of that. I think that's awesome. The plan that you guys have to try to do individual time. And I know that's hard with two, so I'm sure with five and Again, this is one reason I like to do this podcast is because it can educate all the rest of us too. So if we happen to see a family out and maybe they have triplets, quadruplets, you know, to really think about, you know, them as individual children, I think that's a good lesson for all of us to learn. Absolutely. So I I love everything that you just said. Okay. So my next question is one I'm going to ask everyone. If you had one day all to yourself, and you could go anywhere and do anything, where would you go and what would you do? Let's see. If I had a day all to myself and it was just me, just mm-hmm. me. Yep. I, uh, I love reading. Uh-huh, reading. Me too. Reading is kind of my escape from, me too. from real life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how I give myself a break. I'm not really able to turn my brain off ever. I have like all the mom tabs open in my brain and I have like 15 million things going on. So the only way to turn my brain off is to read. Mm -hmm. So if I had a day all to myself, I would probably start in like a used bookstore or the library. Yes. And I would probably browse there for a couple hours. And then I would go to an independent coffee shop and I don't drink coffee because it makes me sick, but I love a good hot chai tea. 
perfect milk perfect. so I would get one of those and then if the day was perfect like perfect weather like not too hot not too cold and no bugs because I'm not mm-hmm. a big buggy kind of person sure I understand <laughs> yes then I would go out and I'd find like a beautiful park preferably in the fall because I love the fall and I would like read out there for a while or I would go home if it were silent silent because it's never silent but I would go somewhere silent and I would read but I would have to be able to take my shoes off and put my feet on the furniture oh and I would need a big like fuzzy blanket and then I would read for hours until it was midnight and my day was over I love I love that that is like my perfect that's probably what my exact same answer would be that is great yeah we're going to have to have some like book club discussions. We're going to have to exchange some of our favorite books that we've read and tell each other some ideas of some of our favorite ones. Yes. But I think, I, and I love the progression from like the used bookstore to the coffee shop, to the park, to the whole, that's just, that's brilliant. You're speaking my language on that one for sure. So and there's no talking the whole time. No. It's just yeah. <laughs> same, same. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I wanted to give you a chance if people wanted to reach out to you either, you know, maybe they're having multiples or maybe they have a child with special needs, or also if you want to share a little bit about your business. Um, if you want to tell us a little bit about where our listeners can reach you, then, um, then we can also, we'll also put that in the show notes, but if you wouldn't mind, um, telling us where they can reach you. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm Rebecca.isham, so I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, so I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. It's the same handle, I guess you call it, on mm-hmm. Facebook. Um, so I'm just, I'm on there. Um, you know, my business, I, I homeschool in the mornings um, and a good chunk of the afternoon, too, because it takes a while to homeschool all these children. Um, but when I'm not homeschooling, I help people with their health and wellness with essential oils and supplements and things like that. So, um, if you need help with that, then you can find me on those spots too. And that's, that's how I corrected a lot of my health issues and not, not all of that will lead to having a bonus baby, but it can help. <laughs> but in your case, it definitely helped. In my case, it helps. So apparently it works. So yes. So that was, it's a, that's a fun fun side effect, but honestly, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't trade Eden for anything. So that's so awesome. Well, and thank you so much for sharing, so for taking the time and for really, you know, going through so many intimate details of your journey. And, um, I really appreciate that. And I think it will help out a lot of other moms there as we all like learn about each other's circumstances and how we can help other moms. And so I know, um, I learned a lot of things about your journey that I didn't know prior to tonight. And it is an amazing one. And you are an extraordinary mom and, you know, huge respect for everything that you're doing. And, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us today on the Mama Sisterhood podcast. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any extraordinary motherhood journeys. Also, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second to rate and review. This helps me reach more moms. See you next week.